People, what's the biggest mistake you made at your wedding? Honey, I love you, but said I do. Oh! <laughs> Not my mistake. Not my mistake. I love my wife. That was host Steve Harvey chatting with contestant Tim Beliefnik on the game show Family Feud, where contestants try to guess the most popular answers to survey questions. Tim's response there is the sort of cringeworthy joke you'd expect to hear on daytime TV. And for what it's worth, his jokey response wasn't a bad guess. 20% of the survey respondents said the same, coming in second only to getting sloshed. At the time, Tim's tone may have been playful, but it spoke to a deeper truth. Less than a year after this episode aired in 2020, he filed for divorce from his wife. And then, just two short years after the airing of this episode, no one was laughing. Becky Beliefnik, the wife Tim had playfully joked about, was found dead in her Illinois home. But this story starts long before Becky's murder. In September 2009, Tim and Becky were married in Illinois. Their life looked idyllic. The two settled down near Quincy University, where Tim had been an All-American linebacker in 2005 and even inducted into the university's Sports Hall of Fame. Becky had been her high school valedictorian. When they married, Tim worked in sales and Becky as a nurse. In 2011, the couple welcomed their first child, a boy, and had two more over the course of their marriage. From the white picket fence to their three sweet boys, it appeared they had it all. That is, until 2021. In January, Tim filed for divorce, and the couple started to live separately. The process dragged on, getting uglier and uglier as time passed. In September 2021, Tim filed an order of protection against Becky, stating he felt harassed and threatened by her. In October of that year, Becky filed an order of protection against Tim, requesting protection against harassment and physical abuse. The courts denied both orders. In December, Becky filed another restraining order, this time against Tim's father on behalf of her three boys. The court also denied this request, stating that the allegations didn't rise to the level required for an emergency protection order. The process went on like this for about two years. The marriage only ended when Becky died. The investigation began on February 23rd when Rebecca Bleifnick was found dead in her home in the 2500 block of Kentucky Road. And less than a week later, on March 1st, police searched her husband's home in the 1600 block of Hampshire Street. The marriage had lasted 14 years. Becky was shot 14 times. The 41-year-old was shot at close range in her bathroom. Police found the point of entry, her bedroom window, pried open. Tim was arrested in connection to Becky's murder on March 13, 2023. On today's episode, we're taking a closer look at what the tabloids deemed the family feud murder trial. We'll review the haunting testimonies from those close to the couple, as well as forensic and technical evidence that painted a full picture of the night in question. This is Jillian in partnership with Law and Crime. You are listening to Court Junkie, episode 254.
You all probably know by now that I am a big fan of Skims. It started with their Fits Everybody collection, which I absolutely love and I've talked about on prior episodes. Well, now I'm here to report that I tried out their cotton loungewear. I had been seeing their matching sets all over my social feeds, and it did not disappoint. Their cotton jersey t-shirt is probably the best t-shirt I have ever worn. It's incredibly comfy, fitted, and hugs my body perfectly. I got it in the color Kyanite, and it looks great with everything. Sweats, jeans, dress pants, you name it. I also got their cotton rib leggings, which are now my favorite pair of leggings. Picking up my kid from the bus stop has never looked more fashionable. I'm kidding about my lack of going out anywhere fun, of course, but you get the idea. This is Skim's most tagged collection, and it's no wonder why. It's made with a classic cotton fabric for comfortable, everyday wear. Made from ultra-soft and natural fibers, the cotton collection features elevated lounge pieces designed for comfort indoors and outside. Available in sizes extra-extra-small to 4X, whoever said loungewear was only for the house hasn't tried Skims. Skims is creating the next generation of loungewear for every body. Believe the hype. Skims has over 100,000 five-star reviews for a reason. The Cotton Collection and more are available now at skims.com. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey and select Court Junkie in the drop-down menu that follows. That's at skims.com, S-K-I-M-S dot com. Tim Beliefnik's trial took place over six days in May 2023. Now, if you're thinking that a murder trial taking place just two months after his arrest is out of the ordinary, that's because it is, or at least it was. According to KHQA, the passing of the Safety Act in Illinois ensures that cases going to trial quickly just might be the new norm. When a suspect is in custody and asserts their right to a speedy trial, the prosecution must now act fast. And that's exactly what happened in this case. Tim was arrested in March 2023, said he wanted a speedy trial. And so in May 2023, his trial began. Prosecutor Josh Jones's opening statements started with an emotional plea to the jury. The last minutes of Becky Bleefnick's life were not spent surrounded by family, friends, and loved ones. No, the last one is that Becky's life were spent in fear and pain and terror as she lay on the cold gray towels of her bathroom floor, slowly bleeding to death. He went on to outline how he said Tim killed Becky in the early morning hours of February 23rd. Becky heard the upstairs bedroom window crash. She couldn't know, she didn't know that at that exact moment someone was prying in that window, prying it open with a crowbar. All she knew was that she was home alone. No one else was supposed to be in the house. Her three boys were supposed to be at their father's house, less than a mile away. She ran into her bedroom, she slammed her bedroom door shut. She frantically tried to dial a number on her phone. 
that that bedroom door was forced open. It was broken open. The door frame was broken, and the phone fell out of her hand. The last number that she frantically tried to dial, 91126. The door forced open. She ran away. She ran into her bathroom, and she turned around, and she heard a shot. And she fell to the ground. She fell on her back, and she looked up into the eyes of her murderer. She looked up into eyes that she had looked into before, into eyes that had promised her once, till death do its part. Jones then told the jury about Tim's motive for the murder, highlighting the stressors of the divorce proceedings. The divorce was contentious, to say the least. In fact, at one point, the defendant described it as brutal. They didn't agree on anything. They didn't agree on custody of their children, parenting time. They didn't agree on child support. They didn't agree on how much maintenance, spousal support, the defendant should pay to Becky. They didn't agree on the assets from the marriage. Becky thought the defendant was hiding money. They didn't agree about the defendant's father. Becky didn't want their three children to be around the defendant's father unsupervised. And in fact, he hadn't been for two years. They didn't agree on that either, though. In a letter sent by the defendant's attorney on January 3rd, 2023, the defendant said he wanted the kids 60% of the time, that he wouldn't pay any child support, that he would only pay $750 a month in maintenance, and that he would get the marital home. The house that Becky and her three boys had been living in since the defendant moved out and filed for divorce two years prior. He said Becky had purchased a CZ-75 9mm handgun during the course of their marriage and that she wanted that gun back. She told her attorney she wanted that gun back because she was scared. She told her attorney she wanted that gun back for protection. She told her attorney she wanted that gun back for protection from the defendant. They didn't agree about that either. Becky told her family that she was scared of the defendant, scared of what he might do to her. The prosecution brought forward 46 witnesses over the course of the trial. Many testified about Becky's mindset in the days and even years before her murder. Perhaps the most chilling testimony came in the form of Becky's own words. She had sent her sister, Sarah, a text message, which Sarah read to the jury. Becky says, if something ever happens to me, please make sure the number one person of interest is Tim, as that is who would do something to me. I'm putting this in writing that I'm fearful he will somehow harm me, come after me, or will try to something to me that takes away from the kids or the kids away from me. He already has lied multiple times to paint himself as a victim and me as the perpetrator when it is absolutely the other way around. No, I have not said this to mom and dad because I don't want them to be out of their mind with worry. According to testimony, Becky said she was in physical danger and told her friends and family that her husband was vengeful and unpredictable when he didn't get his way. She told a friend that Tim had told her she would be dead before she got his money. 
Multiple witnesses came forward to read text messages or to relay conversations they had with Becky about how afraid she was of Tim, including her close friend, Christine. After you asked Becky, are you safe? Becky said to you, I told you your jaw would drop. Is that right? Yes. (sighs) And then she continued, I feel safe right now. I'm super nervous for when this ends. If he doesn't get his mind, I feel he may literally lose his mind. Is that what she said to you? He said, if he doesn't get his way, I feel like, I feel he may literally lose his mind. Yes. Becky's coworker also testified, confirming that Becky frequently spoke about being fearful of Tim. Did you also talk at one time about um, something potentially happening to her? Yes. And fair say, were you kind of, you yourself, when you started this conversation, kind of joking around? Yes. Tell us how it started. Um, Usually, my husband and I would have had a little argument, and I would tell her how angry, not angry, but, you know, mad I was. Um, So we'd be joking around like, oh, I should just get rid of him or something to that. I thought we were joking. Um, I was joking. And she would always say if something ever happened to her that we should make sure we look at at Tim. Looking back, do you wish that you would have taken that a little more seriously? Yes. Another one of Becky's friends recalled how he advised her to get a restraining order, although he didn't believe at the time that Tim would ever hurt her. Did there also come a time during that June or July of 2022 conversation where Becky became emotional? Yes, ma'am. Tell me how she was. She was distraught. Um, You could tell she was crying enormously. She was crying really bad. During that time while she was crying and distraught, did she say to you, if anything ever happens to me, it was Tim? Yes, ma'am. What did you tell her when she said that? I told her that Tim wouldn't do it. Mr. Collins, at the time, you were actually a police officer in Ohio. Is that correct? No, it was in Indiana. Indiana, Sorry. Did you do a police report? No, ma'am. Did you contact Becky's attorney? No, ma'am. Did you tell Becky to get help? I told her to get a a protective order. Did you... um, Did you contact anyone on her behalf? No, ma'am. Do you wish that you would have? Very much so. Becky's attorney in their divorce testified about how Becky had wanted her gun back from Tim. They had even put it in the divorce filings. She never got it back before her death. Did you speak with Ms. Blinknick about why she wanted that gun? I did. What did she say about why she wanted that firearm? She wanted it for protection. Protection from who? Her husband, Tim, believe me. The defendant? Yes. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever find yourself lying in bed at night and your brain just won't turn off? I'll get up with my five-month-old in the middle of the night, shout out to those really great sleep regressions, and then I have the hardest time falling back asleep because I just can't stop thinking about things. 
I know that if I just go to sleep, I'll feel much better, but tell that to my brain. It turns out one great way to make those racing thoughts go away is to talk through them. Therapy gives you a place to do that so you can actually find some peace and some sleep. There are so many things in life that are hard and that leave you feeling like you have no idea what you're even doing, like becoming a new parent or starting a new job. Therapy is an excellent way to help you deal with what's going on. I'll never forget how much therapy helped me when I was going through a divorce in my 20s. Talking it out with someone just made me feel less alone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. For one, it's entirely online, which means that it's convenient, flexible, and works with your schedule. Here's how you get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And that's it. You can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash court today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash court. Many of the prosecution's witnesses relayed conversations or text messages they had exchanged with Becky leading up to the murder. The disagreements around the divorce and Tim's hostile behavior created tension between the couple. But tension wasn't motive enough for murder, argued defense attorney Casey Schnack in her opening statements. That was a good story that Mr. Jones just told you. And that's exactly what an opening statement is. It's a story. It's not evidence. The evidence is going to come from that chair right there through witness testimony and through exhibits. It was clear the couple had their squabbles, but could the jury convict Tim on that evidence alone? Schnack alleged that the case was dripping in reasonable doubt. The theory is great, the motive is there. I mean, they didn't really look at anybody else in this matter because the motive was so abundant, I guess, in their mind. But one thing we went over yesterday that you all agreed with is that motive is not something that they have to prove to you. Motive is not the element of the offense. And motive is not something that you will be asked to consider in your jury deliberations. So while the hostile divorce painted one picture, Schnack said, it didn't prove that Tim was responsible for Becky's murder. What's more, she alleged the evidence from the crime lab was inconclusive at best. Tim is not guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, she said. And that's all that we ask you is that you follow the law on this matter. And I'm convinced if you listen to all of the evidence in its entirety, you will also be convinced that there's proof, that there is no proof beyond a reasonable doubt here. Because everything that they're giving to you from the crime lab, majority of it, is going to either exclude him or it's going to be inconclusive. Everything else is rhetoric, girl talk, and divorce talk. And that's something that we also touched on yesterday. Statistically speaking, 50% of us in this room have been divorced. Some of you talked about that, uh, having to go through that experience yesterday. But getting divorced is not an element of murder. People are not always on their best, or people are not always their best when they're going through the divorce. Through a divorce. Things are sad. Oh, that happens. I've been doing divorce law for 12, 13 years now, and I have yet to see a good one. No divorce is good, but it's not murder. Schnock didn't defend Tim's behavior during the divorce process, but she said the first-hand testimonies weren't enough to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he killed his wife. 
So what evidence did the prosecution have? First, there was the physical evidence. Crime scene technician Emily Pazella took the stand to explain what investigators found at the murder scene. They found that Becky's bedroom window had been pried open with a crowbar. Bits of plastic surrounded the body, which Pazella and the team suspected was debris from a homemade silencer. Investigators found crowbars on Tim's property, along with a bike with a flat rear tire. Testimony also mentioned a blue Schwinn bicycle that was found dumped in an alley about a block away from Tim's home. Officer, did you notice anything about the wheels, both wheels on this bike? They appeared to be have air in them. Did you no. notice anything that they don't have? Reflectors. Did that bike uh, appear to be rusted in any way when you found it? No. Did it appear to have any um, damage from sitting there for a long time? No. Did, were the weeds uh, growing over it or through the wheels or the spokes? No. Uh, was there anything that indicated that it had been there for a long period of time? No. Did it appear to you that it had been placed there relatively recently? Yes. A Facebook Marketplace user took the witness stand, describing the transaction of selling that Schwinn bike. However, he couldn't state with certainty that Tim was the buyer, saying he wasn't sure he would recognize the buyer if he saw them again. Gloves were also recovered from Tim's house, but they weren't tested for DNA or for gunshot residue, as Brian Dush, detective sergeant with the Quincy Police Department, testified. The gloves that were seized, again, we've talked about why they weren't tested for DNA testing. All those gloves were found in the defendant's residence, correct? They were. Gunshot residue testing. None of them were tested for gunshot residue either, were they? They were not. These these gloves were seized and found on March 1st, 2023. Is that right? That's correct. The murder of Rebecca Blaythick occurred when? Uh, Her body was located on February 23rd. Of 2023. Of 2023. Can you tell us why, in your training and experience as a detective sergeant for the Quincy Police Department, why those gloves were not tested for gunshots? In all the training that I have had, uh, the window is a firm six hours uh, from the time of the firing to have any success for gunshot residue. After six hours, the chances of getting any kind of result are, are basically no. Correct. More than two dozen spent 9mm casings were also found in a box in Tim's basement. That particular box, was there something special about that box? Yes. Describe for me uh, what is special about that box. So upon further examination of that box, not only were there boxes of unfired bullets, there were, was, were boxes of uh, spent shell casings. Go forward, please, one slide. People's 98. This Winchester box that we see here, is that what you're talking about, where there were spent shell casings? Yes. When you say spent shell casings, what is that? So when a round is fired, the bullet and the shell casing separate, and what is left behind is the shell casing. Shell casing is, and if it's a semi-automatic, it will be ejected from the weapon. Sorry. Yes. It's a revolver, the shell casing stays empty. Correct. Nearly identical 9 millimeter casings had been found around Becky's body. 
In another officer's testimony, he told the jury that investigators had tested shooting a 9mm handgun wrapped in plastic bags similar to ones found in Tim's home. The plastic shards the homemade silencer created were similar to those found at the crime scene. Another officer testified that he had timed bicycle rides between Becky's street and a security camera, which had captured a bicyclist shortly after Becky was believed to have been killed, matching the duration of the journey to the time frame of Becky's death and the defendant's return home. Could Tim have used a bicycle to ride to Becky's home and murder her, asked the prosecution. During their cross-examinations of these officers, the defense alleged that they had cherry-picked crime scene evidence and overlooked other evidence. And while the investigators theorized that Tim had dumped the Schwinn bicycle in the alley, the recorded video footage couldn't confirm it with certainty. In addition to the physical evidence, the prosecution called experts to the stand to testify regarding digital proof that they said tied Tim to the murder proof that included Tim's internet search history. The following are the searches that were made, as read by Prosecutor Jones, who then makes remarks after each one. Can I force open my door with a crowbar if I lock myself out? How was your window forced open? How many cops in Quincy, Illinois? Respectfully enough to catch it. How to make a homemade pistol silencer? None of the neighbors reported hearing a shot. And he's looking up how to make a homemade pistol sandwich. Average Quincy, Illinois Police Department response time? How long do I have to get away? Tim's search history on his phone aligned with some of the details around the case. But according to the defense on cross-examination, it was all circumstantial. Perhaps more incriminating evidence would come straight from Tim, or at least from Tim's wrist, his fitness tracker specifically. The prosecution took the jury back to February, Valentine's Day. At midnight, Tim's Whoop fitness tracker armband lost connection, and then his phone locked. Investigators know this because they went through millions of data points in the fitness tracker, looking for irregularities. Between midnight and 1 a.m., a surveillance camera located along a route between Tim's rented home and the family home showed a bicyclist heading in the direction of Becky's home. Another surveillance camera at a residence recorded that same rider still traveling towards Becky's home. Moments later, Becky's next-door neighbor received an alert that a moving object was detected on his driveway camera. That video showed someone pacing up and down the driveway. Later, both surveillance cameras recorded that bicycle rider returning along the same route. Between 1.10 a.m. and 1.48 a.m. on Valentine's Day, Tim's search history revealed a scrambling search for information. License plate lookup, title slash registration lookup, VIN check lookup, vehicle records. A phone call was made to the Missouri Department of Revenue a little after 1.30 in the morning. They handle vehicle registrations in that state. The license plate he was looking up belonged to Ted Johnson, Becky's boyfriend, who was spending the night at Becky's. The following day, Tim and Becky's divorce was set for trial for March 3rd. 
The events of Valentine's Day were suspicious on their own, but this pattern repeated. On February 21st, a week later, Tim's fitness tracker disconnected again at 1 a.m. The same cameras caught the same bicycle rider riding that same route towards Becky's house. Tim's armband then reconnected to his phone about an hour and a half later. And that happened again the following night, on the 22nd, at the same time as the previous night, and then again on the 23rd. Only on the 23rd, 40 minutes after Tim's fitness tracker disconnected, his wife Becky was murdered in her bathroom. The same security cameras caught the bicycle rider heading towards and away from Becky's house. In the 20 minutes in between, Becky attempted to call 911 and an ADT alert for the front door went off. The movement of the cyclist, whom police admitted that they couldn't positively identify as Tim Beliefnik, fit perfectly with the time of Becky's murder. The next day, according to the prosecution, Tim made a number of mistakes. He called his children's school, telling them not to let his three kids walk home to Becky's house. He didn't explain why. Tim then arrived at the school at 1.50 p.m., almost an hour before dismissal, as captured on campus security cameras, waiting for the kids to be let out. At around 3 p.m., Tim then sent a text message to Becky's father. And I'm going to read that to you and make sure I'm reading it correctly. That text message that you received said, can you please call Becky and ask her to tell me when she's getting the boys today? I had them last night because she said she was sick, but she hasn't responded to any of the messages I sent today. And I don't know if she's still sick or if she's coming to get them or what's happening. I can keep that again tonight if needed, but I just need her to let me know what she wants to do. Is that what the message says? That is what the message said. And that's the message you received that day at 3.03. Yes, correct. After you received that message, did you try to call Mr. Bleaknik? Um, Yes, I did, and I got no answer. It was then that Becky's dad went to her house and found his daughter lying on the bathroom floor. She she looked like she was dead. So I, out of reflex, I went to check to see if she was she had any uh, heartbeat. I picked up her arm, but uh, rigor mortis had already set in, and her arm was stiff. I moved her her one of her legs, and uh, the rigor mortis in her leg was was also keeping me from moving her. The defense didn't call any witnesses, and Tim declined to testify. Prosecutor Josh Jones started his closing arguments by reading more of Becky's text messages to friends, where she communicated how afraid she was of her husband. It's gotten to the point that I hate to even go to work for fear that he will secretly take off with the kids and I won't see them for a long time. Forever. I truly believe Tim has serious mental health problems and he's becoming more vengeful and unpredictable. And it scares me. But I'm scared to even try to get an order of protection because it will piss him off. And he will try to punish me. 
somehow. And I don't think an order of protection will be issued because they will say his violent outbursts have not been egregious enough and the incidents have been stretched out over too long a period. Temporary custody has not even been set yet because we haven't been to court and I don't have even exclusive possession of our home. So I can't legally keep him away from me or the kids. Plus, if I ask for an order of protection, I won't be able to come see my children at his house anymore. And he may cut off their communication with me while they are there, and that scares me too. And then she tells Becky, it is a fucking nightmare. Prosecutor Jones also summarized the physical and digital evidence that he said connected Tim to their family's home the night of Becky's murder. Every time we see that person on the bike, we don't have cell phone activity, we don't have computer activity, and his whoop is mysteriously and coincidentally disconnected. In fact, on that second bike, the, uh, the third day, the 22nd, when there are two separate rides, it connected and disconnected after the first ride, and connected and disconnected after the second ride. What more do you need to see? He reminded the jury of Tim's online search history from the days preceding and following the murder. Can you just wash off gunpowder residue? He told the jury to factor in this evidence with Tim's anger and hostility towards his wife, and you have a man who had the motivation and means to murder her. The divorce was coming up. He thought he was going to lose. He thought he wasn't going to get what he wanted. And just like Becky predicted, he literally lost his mind. In the defense's closing arguments, Casey Schnock again said there was no evidence directly tying Tim to the murder. And the reason that I'm addressing that right now is because when you listen to the state's opening statement, and when you listen to their closing argument, both of which are not evidence, may I add, it is dripping with sympathy. It is lacking in any hard evidence. After a brief rebuttal from the prosecution, the jury began their deliberations. After just under four and a half hours, they reached their verdict. We, the jury, find the defendant, Timothy Lee's neck, guilty of home invasion signed by the foreperson and 11 jurors. They found Tim guilty of home invasion and of two counts of first-degree murder. While the verdict was read, Tim and his defense attorney showed little reaction. Tim's sentencing took place on August 11th. Mr. Bleefnick, you researched this murder. You planned this murder. You practiced this murder. You broke into her house. And you shot her. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen times. I don't know how long it took you to do that. Some of those shots were fired while she was lying on the ground. And you did all of that while your children was up, were upstairs at your house. Lying snug in their beds. The court believes that the appropriate sentence for each of the two counts of first degree murder would be natural life in prison. 
court believes that the third count of home invasion, appropriate sentence, is life in prison. Those three sentences will merge together into one life sentence. Becky's sister, Sarah, said in a statement afterwards, My parents were robbed of their daughter. And as a parent myself, I cannot imagine a greater torture. Becky was robbed of her life in the most hateful, cowardly, and cruel way. We should not be living in a world where a crime like this is possible. Tim did an interview on 48 Hours after his sentencing. In it, he maintained his innocence and said he still doesn't regret that joke he made all those years ago on Family Feud. Did you have any regrets after that? After saying it? Yeah. No, because it wasn't said with any malice or, or, or bad intentions. It was supposed to be funny. And that's all for this episode. As always, I'd love to hear what you think about this case. You can let me know by joining the conversation on Instagram at Court Junkie, by tweeting me at Court Junkie Pod, or by emailing me at podcast at courtjunkie.com. This episode was researched and written by Emma Deal. Matt Stroud and myself, Jillian Jalali, edited. If you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, hear additional Court Junkie bonus content, or get access to our weekly newsletter regarding fascinating court cases, check out our Patreon options at courtjunkie.com slash support. Also, be sure to check out our sister podcast, Civil, which covers interesting civil cases and trials. You can subscribe there by searching for Civil Court Junkie on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Dive into true crime on Pluto TV. Unravel the mysteries with Forensic Files and 48 Hours. Investigate crimes with Dateline 24-7 and Unsolved Mysteries. With thousands of free crime movies and TV shows, Pluto TV is the true home of crime. Download the Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming true crime on live channels and on demand. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never.